Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. If you have your Bibles, let's open to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and we will start in verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God's original plan was to cover the face of the earth with little living images of him. Uh, people that would be like him in, the, in their character attributes. And that would be a way to honor and reflect his glory back to him. That was the original plan. Adam and Eve chose to sin and ruin the human race, so to speak. Uh, but God didn't give up on his plan. Flip over to chapter 12. God decides he'll start with one man, with one family, with one nation to accomplish the same purpose. Genesis 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that is a promise of the gospel. The Messiah was going to come through the Jewish nation, but not just be a Jewish Messiah, be the Savior of the whole world. So flip over to Psalm 67. That's what we were going to look at today. Um, I wanted to give that as background information and perspective because part of what happened to the Jewish nation during many of the years of the Old Testament, they got selfish. They got very self-centered. They got very self-focused. It's very easy. In a sense, God said, I want to reach the whole world. I'm starting with you first. And in a sense, oftentimes throughout history, it went to their heads. And it, it ceased to be, well, yeah, we're the first just because God had mercy on us and chose us to be the first, but the goal is just to start with us and get to everybody. And it came, yeah, we're the first, we're the last, we're everything. It's just all about us. Bless us for our sake and just keep blessing us. And it's very easy oftentimes in history for the Jewish nation uh, to become selfish like that. But the sad thing is it's, it's very easy for the Christian church to have the exact same thing happen to us. Bless us, protect us, and just get hyper self-focused in a sinful fashion. Now think about it in the Old Testament. Certainly after the time of Abram and this calling, there's no record that God was working anywhere in a saving, redemptive fashion anywhere on planet Earth except with the nation of Israel. So if somebody wanted to know the one true God, Yahweh, and be redeemed, they had to either meet a Jewish person or they had to somehow come across the Jewish Scriptures. That was the only way. It's like there was this one little place on planet Earth where God's saving light was coming down. And if you couldn't somehow get connected to that, there was no hope. That's not very fun or exciting to talk about, but I think biblically it's factual. In a very similar sense, it's true today. If somebody either doesn't come in contact with a Christian or they don't come in contact with the Christian scriptures, there is no hope. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 
right? There is salvation in no other name. It has to be in the name of Christ. So I want us to look at Psalm 67 and think about this because there were seasons. They seem to be short and few, but there were seasons where even in the Old Testament the Jewish nation got it right. And this psalm is certainly one of those. Psalm 67, starting verse 1. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us, that Your way may be known on the earth, Your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for You will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear Him. So, first point, just bless us. When you pray, and remember, this whole quarter is about hopefully taking the Psalms and deepening our personal time of prayer based on what does the psalmist pray. And so, listen, it's good and right on an everyday basis to pray, bless us, bless me. That's not wrong. It's not sinful to think about your own needs, your own desires, and ask the Lord, bless me. Let your face shine upon me. And there's a sense of, God, I want you to be near. I want your presence. I want your smile. One commentator I was reading, he said, if you went and talked to an ancient king and you asked him for something and the king smiled at you, there was a good chance he was going to give you what you wanted. I mean, think about the story of Esther, right? When she came before the king and he was excited to see her. He extended the scepter. And she knew, I'm going to get my request eventually from this king. And that's what the psalmist is praying. God, would you look on us? Would you smile? And notice, be gracious to us. He doesn't come in pleading his merit. He doesn't come in saying, look at how great and wonderful we've been. And that ought to be incredibly comforting to us because if the basis of our prayers has to be our merit, we're in trouble. Right? He just comes in, God, you're a merciful God. You're a gracious God. You love to give good gifts to your children. So I'm, I, I want to cash in on your character. I want to cash in on your promises. Bless us. Okay. Look in verse 6. He essentially prays the same thing, but more in a past tense. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. So he's saying it in a very practical way. Most This was an agrarian society. Most of them were farmers. It's like the harvest has been plentiful, and we're happy, God. You're blessing our business. You're giving us food. You're giving us money. That's a good thing to pray for. That's a good thing to rejoice in. It's a good thing to celebrate. Really, the more mature you become as a Christian, there ought to be more of a desperate sense of clinginess. I think sometimes when you think, well, if I'm a real mature Christian and I have great faith, it's like I don't have to pray that much anymore because I just know God's going to answer. It's like, show me that in the Bible. What I see is the more mature somebody is, it's like the more they're praying about everything. The more they're like, hey, God, if you don't show up, I'm a goner down here. You know, somebody, I was, I was meeting with a, another young couple, Sunday school class kind of thing one time. They were doing Q&A, and they were like, hey, when you're by yourself in the car, what kind of music do you like to listen to? And I said, honestly, if I'm in the car, I'm either making phone calls, okay, uh, a lot of phone calls, or I spend time praying or listen to Christian music 99% of the time. And I said, listen, that's not because I'm so super spiritual. I said, I love Led Zeppelin and all that kind of stuff. I said, I'm listening to Christian music most of the time because I'm trying to survive. I'm trying to keep my heart that focused on Christ and centered on Christ so that when temptation comes, I'll be ready to respond the right way. Make sense? I'm not saying anything sinful with listening to the oldies or whatever you want to listen to. But 
I think the more we grow, there's more of a sense of this desperation. When we're prayerless, we don't mean it this way. But essentially, if you look back over a week, a day, a month, whatever, and you're like, man, I've really not been faithful in the place of prayer. You can just say, I've just been busy. I've been distracted. I've been in a bad mood. I mean, you might have a hundred good excuses. In reality, when you look back on your life and you're like, I've really been prayerless, what you're really doing, it's like shaking a fist of self-sufficiency in God's face. I got this. I'm smart. I'm strong. I'm accomplished. I'm experienced. I don't need you. Now, we would say, I would never say that. Not with our mouth, but we do with our choices when we don't pray. Okay. So, are we praying like this? Just really quick, flip back, keep your finger in Psalm 67, we'll come right back, but flip back to Psalm chapter 35, verse 27. It's one of my favorite phrases in the whole Bible, and it's really just half a verse. Psalm 35, verse 27. I'll read the whole thing. Let them shout for joy and rejoice who favor my vindication. Let them say continually, the Lord be magnified who delights in the prosperity of His servant. I love that phrase. God gets pleasure out of blessing His people. He's like the best parent you can imagine. I bet all of us, even in our sinfulness, have had some of those Christmas mornings or a birthday where you've gotten a gift for your child, and in some sense, they're pretty excited about it, but you're almost more excited to give it to them. Is it because they deserve it? Not my kids, right? Is it because they're just so special and unique and better than every other kid that you've ever met? No, even if you think that, okay? It's because they're yours. Because he's mine, right? And you, there's just a special sense of delight. And I got money, and I like to use it to bless you, buddy. That's the heart of a good parent. No, that doesn't mean you give the kid everything he wants. You understand this. But God's heart is perfect in his wisdom and what he gives, what he takes away. But God's heart is also perfect. And he just likes blessing us. So it's not wrong to ask for it. In fact, it's good. It's right. That ought to be a regular part of your daily prayer life. Lord, bless me. And bless me in all sorts of practical ways. Bless my business. If you're a farmer, bless my crops. Right? If you're a financial advisor, bless my financial services. Whatever it is. Bless my family. Bless us. It's not wrong. But we've got to ask this question if we know our own hearts. How do I stop that from just becoming kind of a watered-down prosperity gospel. Right? I mean, we're not going to go all the way extreme Joel Osteen-type stuff, right? But we can have kind of like a soft evangelical prosperity gospel that's just about me and my family. God, keep us safe. Bless my community. Bless my neighborhood. Bless my friend. You know, but just kind of like, let's circle up the wagons. World's going to hell in a handbasket. Don't let them get us, God. Just keep me and my people safe. How how do you protect against that? Well, partially. Just look at verse 2. Back in Psalm 67. Bless us and cause His face to shine upon us that Your way may be known on the earth. Your salvation among the nations. Skip down to verse 7. God blesses us. Why? That. There's a purpose to His blessing. I heard some old black preacher say one time, God will get it to you if God can get it through you. 
right? It's, it's never just supposed to terminate with us. It wasn't Abraham, I love you, I'm just going to bless your socks off. It was Abraham, I love you, I'm going to bless your socks off so that you can become a blessing to all the nations. So one of the main things is, this is for God's glory. And so if there's really a sense, hey God, I want you to bless me. Yes, I need blessing. And I'm not ashamed to be honest about that. But Lord, I don't want it to stop there. I want your blessing to fall on my life for your glory, for your name's sake. Lord, give me the fruitfulness in my life that will make you famous. I mean, let's just let's talk about Chick-fil-A for a minute. Right? Truett Kathy. Probably most of us have a friend that works at Truett, you know, I mean, works for, I know Truett's gone on to be with the Lord, right? But I mean, works for Chick-fil-A, we've heard about it. They're making a lot of money. They're making really good chicken sandwiches. But, but there's a sense in which Chick-fil-A gives honor to the Lord because of choices they've made to say, we're not going to be open on Sunday because of Jesus. And we're not ashamed. Are they perfect? No. But you, but you understand the point I'm making. I mean, making a chicken sandwich is about as practical and seeming normal life. It's not like hyper-spiritual. But God is doing something there, blessing them, that it gives glory to Him. And so in everything you're doing, there ought to be a sense, hey, God, bless me in this area of my life. Yes, because I want blessing. Yes, because I feel like I need blessing. But don't ever let it stop there, Lord. Let it always be for your name, for your fame, for your renown, for your glory. That ought to just infiltrate all of your prayers. I mean, think about in the Old Testament, Daniel, in, 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 the, in the court of a foreign power, but how wise he was. And how much he blessed these pagan rulers. And what it eventually did is, is one of them became a true believer. Largely in part of Daniel's blessing as an advisor. They saw the wisdom. And it wasn't just like Daniel was every day talking about Yahweh. I mean, he was giving practical advice to rule the kingdom. Wherever God has placed you, ask for blessing. But not just so that it will ever stop with yourself. Always should be multiplied to the glory of God. But then, one third thing that we can pray. So let's Lord bless me for your glory. And, look at verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. I mean, God, uh, you know, bless me in such a way to glorify yourself is a great prayer. But sometimes it can be so generic that it's like, what exactly does that mean? I'm not Chick-fil-A. I'm not closed on Sundays. How is that really going to play out in my life? He gives us a really specific way. One of the best ways that God's blessing in our life can turn into God's glory is when the nations know Christ and worship Him. Right? I mean, the heart of this psalmist and the heart of God, and it ought to be our heart, is not just that people around the globe would know our God is real, would know that our God is big, would know that our God is powerful, would know that our God can beat their God up. All that's important. But the most important is, no, no, our God's a Savior. And He's not just a Jewish Savior. And He's not just an American Savior. He's a Savior for all nations. I mean, it's that people around the globe would see the love of Christ and they would rejoice in it. They would delight. They would get the same joy that we do. It wouldn't just be in a begrudging acceptance. Well, I guess that Jesus guy really is God. But it would be rejoicing. It would be a delighting. It would be praising. 
You know, Bryant prayed that we would be evangelistic in our places of work. The best kind of evangelism, not the only kind of evangelism, but the best kind of evangelism is when it's just the natural overflow of what God's doing in your life. Tell a story. This is 20 plus years ago. I was first on staff at the University of North Alabama, and I was mainly working in this one fraternity, and there were a couple of guys that I've been sharing the gospel with. One guy named John, who, pretty interesting, had actually grown up. His family was foreign missionaries in North Africa, but he kind of, because of the way he grew up, hated it and kind of rejected it all. And then he had a buddy that he liked to party with named Jake. And, uh, I mean, they loved to drink and get into bar fights. And that's, that was kind of what they did for fun. And uh, John dated a girl named Julie. And Julie and John and Julie were you know, shacked up, basically living together. And my wife was doing a Bible study in the sorority Julie was in. So after, I don't know, we've been there a month or two. And one night after a weekly Wednesday night meeting, I'm talking to Jake. And Jake prays to receive Christ with me sitting in my car. And... Uh, I didn't know this, but at the same time, my wife was in our apartment meeting with Julie, and Julie prayed to receive Christ. Same night. And, well, Julie goes home. By this point, it's about 11 or something. And, uh, you know, she basically kicks John out. She says, I just became Christian. You know, I'm not doing this anymore. We can't, you, you got to get out. He's not very excited about that. Uh, so he's packing his bags, moves back into the fraternity house. By the time he gets there, it's probably after midnight on a Wednesday night, and he walks into the fraternity house and just sitting kind of in the chapter room all by himself is Jake on the couch just kind of sitting there like this, you know. And he's like, Jake, what are you doing, man? And Jake's like, man, I got saved tonight. And so John, kind of half frustrated, went upstairs, dropped his bag like, my best friend, my drinking buddy just got saved, my girlfriend got saved, I guess I might as well get saved. And he gave his life to Christ. Now, it doesn't happen that way all the time. But notice, I don't think John and Julie were like, I'm planning to share the gospel with my, right? It was just a natural overflow. Julie's conviction of sin, Jake's rejoicing in salvation that led them to talk about, here's what God's done for me. I'm not saying it has to be that way all the time. But the best kind of evangelism is just a natural rejoicing. Let me tell you what my God's done for me. My God's real. My God saves people. Tim Keller said it this way. True enjoyment of God must lead naturally to mission, to helping others see the beauty you see. God never draws us in except to send us out. I saved you. I love you. I bless you. Now go back out and tell others. Verse 4 can be a weird verse for us, right? Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples without rightness. We always have a very negative, it's like judgment, that doesn't sound good. But in the Old Testament, the main thing that a good, godly ruler and judge was known for was protecting the weak, was protecting the innocent, was protecting the oppressed. And this is saying, listen, at the end of time, God's going to settle all the accounts and it's going to be right. It's going to be just. It's going to be fair. It's going to be better than fair, right? Okay. And he guides the nations. He, he controls all things, but he has the wisdom to bring all people, all the elect, certainly, to Christ. Now, um, really practical. Uh, what, what's our part in this? I mean, the, the first thing, the main thing that I hope we all walk away with is just in your prayer life. I mean, Max and I didn't plan this. I did not know Max was going to be here, you know, he didn't know I was teaching, I don't think. Didn't know I was teaching on this because I just decided yesterday. So, um, I think this is the Lord. What's the main thing you ought to do? I, I think I can confidently say it ought to be a regular, if not daily, part of your prayer life. 
God, bless me for your glory and for the sake of the nations, for the sake of lost people that don't know you yet. Use me. I might be the most introverted, most theologically confused and inaccurate person in the world. But even if you're a brand new Christian, and that's one of the reasons I told that story about, you know, Jake and Julie. They literally had just come to Christ, and within a few minutes, God was using them to lead other people to Christ. Is that the way it normally happens? Not necessarily. But sometimes it does, right? The woman at the well, she just started trusting the Messiah. Next thing you know, she leads a whole village to Christ, essentially. God can use you. Pray and ask. God, use me here, my neighborhood, my workplace, around the world, wherever. Second thing is, is give. As I mean, one of the great legacies of Broadwood Church is the sacrificial giving. Is God is blessing your personal harvest financially. And again, it's good to pray for that. In some sense, the more rich Christians, the better. Because then it's more money that can be used for the purposes of God. Give money sacrificially to get the gospel to the lost, to get the gospel to the nations. And then, I didn't know you were going to share about the Yakima mission trip, but you know, the first two, I would say confidently, every Christian ought to be involved. Praying for the lost, praying for the nations. Giving to ministries that are going to reach the lost. Giving ministries that are going to reach the nations. The third one is like, I think most Christians should be involved, but I don't know if I can say 100% for sure every Christian has to do this. But when in doubt, find a time to go. Whether it's two weeks, two months, two years, next two decades, I don't know. But another great legacy of this church is people that were raised up out of our church membership that have gone overseas. We just, I don't know if any of y'all were here on a Sunday night about a month ago. We just launched a new family to go to Scotland to start a new ministry in Scotland evangelistically. The McGregors, you know, were members of this class many moons ago. And they left and they went to Thailand and now they're back. That ought to be more of the normal Warp and woof of churches. And, and sadly, it's not at most churches. And we need to pray that continues here. I mean, so let me just give a couple of really great examples. Thailand. Uh, you know, the history of campus outreach, it starts here. You know, things are going good in Alabama. They go to uh, Georgia. Things keep going good. And so they say, where should we go next? And somebody decided, let's go to Bangkok. <laughs> and I always say, that was either a really stupid decision or it was a really faith-filled decision. It was somebody that believes this stuff. So in 1990, they sent a team of people to Bangkok, Thailand. I mean, a lot of the people on the team, like, had only been Christians like three and a half years. Like, came to Christ their freshman year, they graduate, and it's like, hey, you want to raise money and go to Bangkok, where it's like over 98% Buddhist, and try to talk to people. And they end up in a city called Konkan. They end up planning a church. You get all these people, Buddhists, coming to Christ, and now... I think I got this right, correct me if I'm wrong. The majority of all the leadership, if not all the leadership of this church, the deacons, the elders, the pastors, the campus outreach staff there, none of them are American anymore, except maybe one. It's like they're all Thai. That's it. And now they're sending out teams to other cities, other campuses. And that traces back to a church in Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. Let's pray God keeps doing that. Let me tell one more story. This is just... I was just in another state, another region, uh, doing some staff training for campus outreach. And uh, when the team first went to this state about 12 years ago, I knew almost everybody on the team. And it was, the whole team was white. Okay, I mean, it's just, you know, everything you trace in in campus outreach, you trace it back far enough, it comes back to Birmingham Broadwood, just because that's where everything started. So the team that first went there about 12 years ago, a bunch of white people. And now the team is majority African American. 
And so I'm sitting there, I think at lunch one day, talking to a lot of the staff, and I was talking to the camp's director, who's an African-American guy, and, uh, you know, he's got a lot of tattoos and all that. And he said, and I don't even know exactly how we got on this, but he said, you know, I got to go to Briarwood one time. You know, he said, I was in Birmingham for, like, a staff training, and I said, I really want to go to Briarwood. I'd heard all this stuff. So I stuck around for a Sunday and went to worship at Briarwood. And he's like, man, everybody was so nice, and, you know, hey, are y'all new here? And he's, you know, greeting us and everything. And, uh... And I didn't know exactly where he was going with the story, right? So I'm sitting here at this table, you know, mostly African-American. He's telling me this story. And he says, and then like during one of the worship songs or something, he said, I'm looking around this huge big church. And he said, I'm realizing there's not one person in here that looks anything like me. And I know where he was going after that. You know, he kind of paused. Like, this could get really awkward. And then he said, but then, you know, I, I thought, that's okay. He said, because this church reached me. He's like, because there was some old white guy back in the 60s named Frank Barker <laughs> that had a vision. And that's why I'm a Christian. <clears throat> that's the kind of Christians we need to be. That we have a heart for people that look radically different, that think radically different. Right? That might be living in Thailand, literally bowing down and praying to statues of Buddha. And that God can do things through our prayer life, through our giving, through our time, through our effort and energy to reach the nations. Not just he can, he will. He will. To whatever degree I feel passionate about missions or you feel passionate about evangelism or church planning or whatever Max is passionate about, I promise you this, if it's a good and right thing, God's more passionate. God's more committed. He's on the move. He's wanting to do this. So... I think sometimes when we're thinking this way, when we're praying this way, it can be hard because we look around and sometimes it's like, Lord, I know what the Bible says, but it doesn't feel like we're winning. Right? I mean, sometimes it feels like hard things are happening, bad things are happening, the church is going backward. There can be, there can be all sorts of frustrations, questions, complaints, confusions. And anytime I'm feeling that way personal, personally, I love to think about the Apostle John on the original Good Friday when nobody was calling it Good Friday. Right? The only disciple that made it all the way to the cross. This faithful, insightful guy that's like, I really thought that was the Jewish Messiah. And he just hung his head and died. And it seemed like he died under the anger of God with the sky turning black and everything. Imagine the confusion that he must have been under. About two days later, everything made sense. Right? He got, he got all his questions answered. He didn't have to wait long. Now, by God's grace, we know more than John knows in a sense even now. We still have questions. We don't have all our questions answered, but we have the most important questions answered. So flip over to Revelation chapter 7 quickly. Because when you're hurting, when you're confused, when you don't understand what God's doing, why He's doing it this way, why He's not doing something, just remember this. Yes, we still have a lot of questions. The most important questions have been answered. Christ has lived. He's died. He's risen for the sins of His people. And we know Revelation chapter 7, starting verse 9, 
After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches within their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In the end, he's going to win. He is going to save people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Guaranteed. And he's such a gracious, kind God. He likes to take his kids to work with him. He's like, I want to involve you in the work. He's already done the hardest part. I'm not saying that some of the parts that may lie in front of us may not be hard at times, but they're not near as hard as what he went to. So... There will be times in life where it feels like God is looking down on you and frowning on you, so to speak. We'll feel that way. But what we can always know is, no, no, no. He frowned, so to speak, on Christ on the cross. So now, by His grace, He's always smiling on me. I may not feel like He's smiling on me, but I can trust that. And that ought to give me great hope and motivation to keep praying. God bless us. Bless me for your glory and for the sake of the nations. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you please make us men and women of prayer? Would you please make us desperate and clingy in our prayer life? Would you make us hungry? Uh, But Lord, I pray that you would protect us from falling into just the ditch of selfishness, of self-centeredness, of being myopically focused on just our needs and ourself and our family and even just our own church, Lord, lift up our eyes to see the harvest fields that are white. And Lord, let our heart really burn in prayer. Lord, bless us for your glory and for the sake of the nations and may we see you do it. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.